We are continuing a series that I've entitled The Rhythm of God, and we started this series last Sunday. And one of the things that I am convinced as we read the scripture is many of us open the word of God and we're lost. We're confused. I mentioned last Sunday, reading the Bible is often like watching a movie at the halfway point or starting a book on chapter six or beginning to watch a television series on season three and not knowing what has happened in season one and season two. But God, in his infinite wisdom, has been gracious to us in the sense that he gives us a beginning. And the beginning is called Genesis. And in the beginning, in the book of Genesis, God, through his servant Moses, lays out these initial rhythms in the book of Genesis that give us a rhythm and a pattern of how God will work all throughout the scripture from Genesis to Revelation, and then ultimately all throughout life. If we want to know what is the ultimate story of the Bible, if we want to understand how will God work in our lives, we have to go back to the beginning. And that's exactly what Moses did for his people. The people in Israel, they were in the wilderness. They had been in bondage for so many years under the, the oppression of the Egyptians. And they had lost their identity. They had lost their understanding and this unique relationship of who God was and how they worked. And what Moses does is he brings them back to the beginning. And he says, we need to understand who we are and how God works and how God moves. We have to go back to the beginning. So for the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at the first 12 chapters of Genesis and understanding how does God work? What are the rhythms of God that we see in the very first pages of scripture? Last week, we looked at Genesis chapter one. And in Genesis chapter one, we see the creation story. But that we also saw that in addition to God giving us this narrative of how the world was created, He's also giving us a rhythm, not just of creation, but he's also giving us a rhythm and a pattern of redemption. Not only does he share with us in Genesis 1 how the world was created, he will also reveal to us through the creation story how you are redeemed, how you are loved, how you are rescued. In this beautiful story, this rhythm of redemption, bringing order out of chaos, light out of darkness, and life out of death. And this morning I want us to look at the rhythm, another rhythm here in Genesis 1, and it's the rhythm of work. And it's the rhythm of work and rest. That if the beginning of Genesis chapter 1 gives us a redemption, the rhythm of redemption, the end of Genesis chapter 1 gives us this rhythm of work and rest. Work and rest. And so we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, and we're going to end with Genesis chapter 2, verse 3. So Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, through chapter 2, verse 3. Hear the word of God. That God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image and in the image of God he created them. Male and female, he created them and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God said, behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed 
and its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens, to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. God, Lord, for the next few moments that we have together, Lord, I pray that you would remove all distraction. Help us to be reminded once again that your word is living and active. That you have a word, a good word for us this morning. So, Lord, I pray that we would rest and be still as the Holy Spirit does work on our souls. That we would be receptive to the truth. That we would be receptive to the good word. That would heal our souls this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. A few weeks ago, I was at a lunch, and it was about five people at a round table. And everybody had out what? Their cell phones, Right? And no lie, I looked up, we just gotten done ordering lunch, and everybody was glued to their cell phone. And I thought, for a second, what in the world would we do without these things? We would actually have to talk to each other. We would actually have to converse. We would actually have to have some conversation if it wasn't for these cell phones. Well, to their credit, they were actually working. It was, a, it was a lunch during work, and I thought maybe they were checking social media or checking faith. Maybe they were after I checked. But they were legitimately working. And I thought back to when iPhones, I don't know if you remember the commercials for iPhones when they first came out, but one of their selling points was what? You'll never be disconnected from your work. That was one of their selling points. You'll never be disconnected from your work. Now, it's funny, when people often talk about the 40-day work week, I go, what is that exactly? What is the 40-day work week? Is there such a thing as the 40-day work week? I think the 40-day work week only worked when there was two phones. There was the office phone and there was the home phone. And if you missed 5 p.m., you couldn't call the office phone. And if you got too late, you were respectful enough that you weren't going to call the home phone. And maybe then the 40-day work week was actually a reality. But now we have email and we have text messaging and we have iPhones and we have, uh, we have laptops and we have email that can connect us whether we're not at work or whether we're at home. We have Facebook. We have everything that can keep us connected 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We are always connected. And so when I mentioned this morning that we're going to talk about work, you might have went, oh, that sounds like a boring sermon. But it's actually quite relevant, especially to the people in this room. Because every single one of us has a dysfunctional view of work and an even more dysfunctional view of work and rest. And God in his infinite wisdom was gracious enough to give us a rhythm here in Genesis, on the first pages of scripture, giving us a rhythm for work and rest. And that's what I want us to look at this morning. It's interesting, the ancients knew a lot about work. In, in fact, the, the ancient Greeks looked down upon work. It was 
often, it was widespread, it was known that the, the ancients, the, the Greeks, looked at work and, and work was, was for man. The gods didn't work. See, the whole goal of life for the Greeks was to get out of work at any means possible. And they would actually tell stories of how the gods would rest and the gods would recline while they would watch man, uh, men work. And the whole, the whole goal was to get out of your work so you could become like the gods. And the reason the gods could rest is because man was always at work, slavishly working himself in order to become what? Like the gods. And so when we see here in Genesis chapter 1, one of the most peculiar things we see here is what? God is not at rest. He's not sitting up in the heavens reclining. He's not sitting up in the heavens resting. He is working. Isn't that interesting? In the first pages of scripture, we see a new paradigm for work. That it's not just man is called to work, but God himself is working. And he sets this pattern, he sets this rhythm, and every day it says that God is working and making something new. He's creating something on the first day, and the second day, and the third day, and the fourth day, and the fifth day, and the sixth day. But after he gets done working, and he creates the heavens and the earth, and he creates humanity as we read about this morning, he establishes a rhythm for the people that he's created. And the interesting thing here in verse 26 that we read is that when God creates man in his likeness, he gives them dominion. And the first thing that we see here is that God created us to work. God created you to work. He creates, in verse 26 through 28, he creates man in his own likeness. He gives them dominion. And then what does it say in verse 28? He says, go be fruitful and multiply. He says, go be creative. Do what I've done here in creating male and female and do it all over again. And be creative and multiply and be uh, productive and be fruitful. And then he goes out and he says, have dominion over all of the fish of the sea. And then in verse 29, he says, I've given you every plan. What is the work that God has called man to? He's called him to the work of being a gardener. We'll see that later fleshed out in Genesis chapter 2. He gives them work to do. He doesn't create them and says, just sit down and, and don't do anything the rest of your life. He says, I've created you to work. Just as I have worked, God establishes this rhythm of work in, in, in days one through six, and then he creates male and female, and he says, you guys go work. And he gives them the work of a gardener in chapter two. We'll later read that he puts them in the midst of the garden to tend to the garden. Be productive, be creative, tend the garden. Isn't that amazing? The first job that we ever see here is not a pastor, it's not a priest, a gardener. Go out. Go get your hands dirty. Be a gardener and work. I think what's interesting here, two things that we see that God has created us for work and establishes this rhythm is we see work when? Before the fall. Many of us think about work. We think about our own work, whether you're, a, uh, whether you're an attorney, a small business owner, a stay-at-home mom. You look at work and what do you think? You think Monday's coming and you're 
heart sinks. And often, if we look at work, we would, might think that work is a result of the fall. Right? If you don't know much about the Bible, you would think... I, I heard this story once about God creates uh, the heavens and the earth, and he creates man, and then they screw up, and they mess up, and then God gave them work to do. It's not the case. We see work here before the fall. Work is not a result of the fall. It happens before the fall. And he blesses them with work. See, work is a good thing. We've just tended to mess it up. And we'll get to that in a little bit. But the first thing that we see here is God creates work before the fall. So we know that work is not a bad thing. It's not a punishment. We've turned it into a punishment. But work is a good thing that he's given us. The other thing that we see about work is that, as I've said, he gives them the job of gardener, not pastor, not priest, not small business owner, but a gardener. What is he trying to say here? He's trying to say that all work is equal. It doesn't matter whether you're the stay-at-home mom. It doesn't matter whether you collect trash. It doesn't matter whether you're a small business owner, you're a doctor, an attorney. All work is work, and it is blessed by God. The gardener's our ancestor. The gardener is our father. And it's good. And it's seen good in his eyes. So the first thing that we need to see here is that God created us to work. The second thing we see here in the passage that we read is that not only God called us to work to be fruitful and multiply and have dominion and be creative and produce and tend the garden, he also creates us to work how? Like our father. How? What does he say in verse 28? It says, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. What's that word subdue mean? The word subdue here in the Hebrew means to bring it under control. Isn't that exactly what God did in the first few verses of Genesis? That's what we talked about last week, right? God was bringing order out of chaos. He was taking the empty, formless nature of the universe and he was bringing order to it. He was bringing light into the darkness. He was bringing life into death. And so when God says here, be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth, what he's saying is not only work, not only have I created you to work, I've created you to work like me. Just as I have brought order out of chaos and light into the darkness, I want you too to bring order and life and light. He not only calls you to work, He not only calls you to be a CEO and a doctor and a small business owner and a stay-at-home mom and a retiree and a volunteer. He not only calls you to work and he not not only gives you value to your work and dignity to your work, but he calls you to work like the Father. Subdue the earth. He calls his sons and daughters to work like him. This past week, I spent, uh, we won't do any close-ups, but I've, I've got scars all over my hands. These hands were truly made for preaching because I put up about 20 sheets of plywood on my house. Uh, but as I was putting up the sheets of plywood in my, on my house, thinking that the storm was going to make a direct hit for South Florida, I looked down and who's standing right there? My son. 
My son's five years old, and he's standing there with a, a little battery-operated um, drill, and he's trying so badly to screw in the screws and take out the screws, and he's, he's making more mess than, than really helping, but it was the cutest thing to see him there, standing there, trying to help who? Trying to help his father, working like his dad, working like his father. And that's what we've been called to do. We've not only been created to work, we've been created to work like our Father. Could you imagine if we thought of our careers like that? Think about that for one second. I don't want to lose this point. I don't want to lose this point. Because I look out into this room this morning and there are incredibly successful people. Very driven, very talented career-oriented people, and I think that's incredible. I think that's a blessing. But could you imagine if you took all of that talent and all that opportunity and everything that God has gifted you with and you actually believed this, you actually believe that God not only created me to work, I kind of saw everybody sit up, they're like, yeah, God created me to work, absolutely, preach, preach it. But could you actually imagine that God not only created you to work, but God created you to work like the Father? Could you imagine if we actually believe that to be true? If the nurse out there said, God not only called me to be a nurse, he called me to be a nurse like my Father. Bringing order out of chaos. For the guy that builds roofs, he actually saw his job as not only building a good roof, but he saw himself as, hey, I am going to be the, the one. I am going to build roofs and do it well and, and, and sell them at a fair price. And I am going to be the ones that secures people's homes all over South Florida. And attorneys and doctors and stay-at-home moms and small business owners and retirees all began to see their work, whether they get a paycheck or they volunteer, all began to see their work as reflective of the Father's work. Can you imagine what this church and what this community and what these neighborhoods would actually look like? Everybody seeing their calling in life that God created me to work like my dad. What a difference that would make. And what if, what if, this is true. And your work was not ultimately for you to make a lot of money. Now, don't get me wrong. Making a lot of money is not a bad thing. But what if it wasn't the ultimate goal? What if it was to do this? To subdue the earth. To bring light into the darkness. To bring water out of chaos. First thing that we see, God creates us to work. And it's a good thing. The second thing, God creates us to work like the Father and subdue the earth. And you might be sitting here and you might be pretty frustrated at me right now. Because you go, Rob, you just described utopia. Great. You're telling me God creates me to work. He creates me to work like the Father. But you don't know what I do. You don't know that my work has been the end of me. I'm losing my family, I'm losing sleep, I'm one paycheck away from ruin. It's divided my family, it's divided my home, I can't sleep at night, and you're making work sound like utopia. 
And I get it. Because I think I have the greatest job in the world. I do. I really believe that. I have the greatest job in the world. But even the greatest job in the world can be absolutely frustrating at times. And I understand. You might be sitting at home every day as a stay-at-home mom and you might go, created to work like my father. All I do is clean dirty diapers all day. What are you talking about, Rob? You don't understand the pressures of, I've started this small business and I'm losing my back. I've got so much credit card debt from starting this small business, I, don't, I can't even sleep at night. You don't understand, Rob, my boss is an absolute tyrant. Makes me not even want to get up in the morning. So I understand when you hear this, that you've been created for work and you've been created to work like your father, that this might sound like utopia. But here's the problem. The reason it sounds like utopia, the reason this sounds too good to be true, is we're out of rhythm. You see, we're out of rhythm when we only see work as the world has portrayed it to be. When we see work as something we do to collect a paycheck, when we see work for me to give me an identity and to give me purpose and to make, give me significance, we will always be exhausted. And the one thing we're always missing in work, and the reason we're out of rhythm, is work was always supposed to be met with rest. At the end of the passage that I read, what happens? At the end of creation, in chapter 2, what does it say? The heavens and the earth were finished. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work, and he blessed the seventh day, and he made it holy. That's where we get the idea of Sabbath rest. At the end of creation, at the end of the work, God looks at it, he is pleased, and he says, the creation is finished. My work is finished. And what does he do? He rests. He enjoys it. He's satisfied with it. And you might go, okay, well, that makes, that makes sense. You work hard, you need rest. You need to sleep at night. You need to rest. You need to kick your feet up at the end of a long day. God gives us a great rhythm. Let's go home. Work hard, rest. Thanks, God, for giving us a great pattern. But there's more there than meets the eye. There's a greater rest that's needed for the people of God. And it's not just sleeping eight hours a night. It's not just kicking your feet up on the sofa at the end of a long day. The people of God have always longed for a Sabbath rest, just as God rested on the seventh day. You see, in Hebrews chapter 3 and 4, we will be introduced to this idea of, of Sabbath rest that awaits for the people of God. That there is a greater rest that's needed for you in the midst of your work. And the reality and the truth is this. That God worked and then rested, but we, in order to do the work that God has called us to, we must first rest and then work. It's a totally different paradigm. The world says, work hard, rest later. The gospel tells us, rest now so that you can do the work that God has called you to. What am I talking about? Let's just think about modern culture. Rocky Balboa. 1976, 
end of the movie, Rocky, the night before his fight with Apollo Creed, says what to his wife, Adrian? He says, I don't even care about winning. I just want to go the distance. And then I won't think I'm a bum anymore. I just want to go the distance, and then I won't think I'm a bum anymore. Harold Abrams, Chariots of Fire. Sprinter. Why does he say he runs the 100-meter dash? Because he says those 10 seconds will justify my existence. Rocky doesn't want to be a bum. Harold Abrams needs to justify his existence. Stephen Jay Gould, a evolutionary biologist, says this. We are here because one odd group of fishes had a peculiar finite anatomy that could transform into legs for terrestrial creatures. Because the earth never froze entirely during the ice age, because a small and tenuous species arising in Africa a quarter of a million years ago has managed so far to survive by hook and by crook, we may yearn for a higher answer, but none exist. You see, when your work and your life and what you do is your only means of how you define yourself, and that becomes the means for your approval and your satisfaction, you're no better off than the evolutionary biologist who says there is no God. Because you see, what God has done in creating you is he says, I have given you everything you long for. I've given you your identity. I've given you significance. I've given you love. I've given you a name. And when you think and you live and you act as if your work and your life and what you do has to be in place to define you, to give you purpose and significance, you act as if there is no God. You're no better off than an atheist. You're no better off than Stephen Jay Gould, who had to work his entire life, like Rocky, like Harold Abrams, like every single one in this room, if we're honest, suffers with every single day trying to find our hope and our significance in what we do. You see, the reality is, because work was created before the fall, it's not work that's troubling you. It's the work under the work. Don't miss that. It's the work under the work. It's when you get up in the morning. It's not your actual job you go to that is bad. It's not what, where God has called you in your life right now that is killing you. It is the work under the work. Will somebody notice me? Am I still significant? Am I making enough money? Am I behind? I used to work and now I'm a stay-at-home mom and now I have no meaning in my life at all. I've worked my whole life and now I'm retired and now nothing. I, I can't do anything. I'm not important. Nobody calls me anymore. You see the torment we put ourselves through? The work. Under the work, our hearts and our lives will always be restless until we find the true Sabbath rest. Let's look at that verse as we close this morning. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9 and 10. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. 
For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. You see, there is a Sabbath rest for the people of God. And they couldn't see it back in the Old Testament. They longed for it. But the good news this morning is there was a man by the name of Jesus Christ who just like God on the seventh day said, my work is finished, hung from a cross and said, your redemption is finished. You see, there are two works in the Bible that God will say to us, which is our lifeline this morning, and say, it is finished. In creation, he says, my creation is finished, rest. And centuries later, Jesus will come and say, my work of redemption on the cross is finished. It is in creation where we find our identity, and it is at the cross where we find our love and affirmation. The two things you long for and you try to find in your work, in your life, in your relationships were all accomplished for you so that you could what? As the Bible just said, so you could rest. You will never live the life that God intended for you. You will never work in the way that God has intended for you until you learn to rest in the work of God, your creator in Genesis, and God, your redeemer in the Gospels. That is the good news for you this morning. God rested once at creation and said it was finished, and he rested again at redemption and says it is finished. It is the work under the work that keeps you up at night. Let me close with this. Actor, famous actor from England by the name of Ben Kingsley, two-time Oscar winner, and if you remember his first movie, he did the uh, biographical sketch of Gandhi. And he did an interview back a few years ago and he talked about the dark family secret that drove him to success. And the dark family secret that drove him to success was this. He says, I grew up in a home where my mother and father never gave me any attention. They never affirmed me. They never, they never respected what I was called to do. They never told me that I was loved. They never told me that I would amount to anything. And he said that pressure, the work under the work, that pressure to make a name for myself, to find my identity, to find my value, to find my significance, because I wasn't finding it at home, drove me to be the greatest actor there ever was. He said it almost drove me insane and almost drove me into the grounds. The pressure was so deep. He says there was a turning point in his life when the Queen of England called and said, Mr. Kingsley, you are such a fantastic actor and you have made your impact on so many people. It would be my honor to knight you. Sir Benjamin Kingsley. Ben Kingsley invited his mother and father, and because they didn't really respect what he had amounted to, 
but they never really agreed with his career in acting. He invited them, but they did not show up. But he says this, after he was knighted by Queen Elizabeth. He says, so so to be embraced by Her Majesty, I felt like stopping people in the street saying, the Queen loves me. Because that's what it felt like. The Queen loves me. The filling of a vacuum of a loveless upbringing and a loveless childhood. To run through the streets and to say, the queen loves me. You see, the good news this morning is for those that are in Christ, you can run out that door and that door and that door this morning and you can run into the streets and say, the king loves me. The king loves me this morning. And all of my value and all of the significance and all of the identity that is so wrapped up in the work underneath the work, regardless of who you are and where you've come from this morning, the work underneath the work, Jesus cries out to you and says, rest. Have your Sabbath rest. Yes, I've created you to work. I've created you to work like my father. But you first have to rest in order to do the work that I've called you to do. Then, what does work look like? Then, what does your calling look like? Then, what does your life look like? And my question for you this morning as we end is, have you found this rest? Do you know this God? That has created you? And do you know this God that has redeemed you? His name is Jesus Christ. And he offers hope for you this morning. For those that are weary. For those that are burdened. For those that are drowning under the work underneath the work. He says, come find rest for your weary souls. Come have life. Enter into my rest. It's the rhythm of God. God works so that you can rest. And you can rest in order to work.